everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today I want to talk to you about the last big thing. Now here's the thing. If you still believe that what you last did is really big, you haven't moved on or grown. Now, I've heard that multiple times from multiple mentors and public speakers. Eventually, I traced it back to author John Maxwell. Now, mostly I'm giving him credit because he's one of my favorite authors, but it's really just a call to not stagnate. And don't worry, I'm actually talking to myself here too. After all, we all have those things that we look back on with pride and think how amazing and big they were. And I'm not talking about on a personal level. I'm actually more talking on a career level. Otherwise, I'd have to look at my children and the growth that they've made through their life as something that I could take a small piece of credit for. Now, there are two software projects I worked on close to 10 years ago now that I'm still proud of. They were massive challenges for me, and outside of my true area of expertise, which is actually software and product design. But I did the majority of the coding for these two products, and I designed them, I designed the interactions, and I actually worked with a team, and one of those people was the graphic designer for the project. So I can't take all the credit, but I take a lot of the credit, which is part of the pride. And I've never really moved on from there by growing in my knowledge of code or taking on more complex projects. But I'm also proud of them because so many people thought that it couldn't be done. And a lot of those people were professional developers. So there are things that we do that are truly big deals. We all have one of those or two of those legacy-sized things in our life. Now, in today's world, though, if you're still adding features to a platform that's basically more than five years old, and in fact, I would say more realistically these days, more than three years old, and you don't have any kind of R&D, you're really on thin ice. And if your customer research is more than a project old, or consists of, well, we heard, or worse, we, we know our customers, you don't know your customers. And if you're relying on what your salespeople or your customers say they do, you don't know what they do. You have to observe what people do to really know. And dear Lord, please, look, if you're still counting on market dominance, you're fooling yourself. If you think that's going to last more than another four years without working to be the market leader, you're, you're actually the fool. Look, let me just be frank. To that end, though, I, I want to take a look at two companies that have changed over the years. I will explore quickly how they changed, and then I'm going to leave you with the lessons I was taught that can help you in your work. So not just your company, but the work that you do personally. So this isn't just for company owners or founders. This is actually for people doing work in an employee level. To kick off, let's look at IBM. This is a company that has been in the hardware business its whole life. It wasn't always called IBM, or International Business Machines. In the 1880s, it actually started with tabulating equipment. And in fact, its first big contract was providing the tabulating equipment for the 1890 census. And then fast forward into the 1960s, when it went from essentially these mechanical computers to bringing out a line of computers that quickly took over the market. 
Now, many of their competitors had to actually merge to survive, or they just simply went out of business. IBM, back in the day, was the Google or Amazon of the time. They were so dominant, in fact, that it actually scared people. And this is actually to the point that the famous character HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey was actually a nod to IBM, and essentially a nod to, quote, evil IBM, with each letter of the name HAL only one letter off from IBM. And if you recall in the movie, uh, HAL 9000 went crazy and killed everybody except for one guy who then escaped and became some kind of space child something. I, Whatever. I watched that movie three times. I still don't get the end. But they maintained that dominance until they were late to bring out small and personal computers. Now, while they stayed a relatively strong company, they also started to fade into the background. So eventually they recognized that what they did in the past was no longer the right thing. Now, if you ask me, it took them way, way too long to recognize that. Because by 2010, so decades later... IBM was well, actually well on its way from a hardware company to an IT consultancy. They actually bet the company by changing their entire model to IT consulting. The interesting thing to me is that they made the decision while they still had the financial resources and relative success. So they still had their name out there. Now, this is rather rare in a world where most people tend to rest on their laurels and just kind of collect the money that they can. Business schools to this day teach their transformation as a model for reinvention. Now, if you look in between in the middle of their story, there's kind of one lesson tucked in there, which is that they lost their way. The market shifted while they were essentially asleep, resting on the success of their current business model. And when they finally woke up, they lost their market dominance and actually didn't know what to do. And this is always a leadership problem. It's certainly a lack of vision and foresight, but it's also that overly optimistic view that your market dominance is going to never fade. And in a more personal level, it's this concept that you are so good at what you do that nobody's going to come along and take your job away, but then you end up losing your job or somebody takes your job away because they learned the new stuff. Now, before I go on to any of these lessons, let's switch gears to talk about toys. Uh, I learned recently that Hasbro wasn't always a toy company. And now, if you knew that, I'm actually impressed, or you're really into toys. Either way, kudos to you. But it actually started in the early 1920s by the three Hassenfeld brothers, Hasbro, uh, who sold textile remnants. Now, after 20 years in that business, they actually started making school supplies. Now, if you don't understand why, then it's actually this kind of very interesting leap that they took. But the story is that they were using the fabric remnants to also make hat and pencil box liners. When they saw the popularity of those pencil box liners, they actually moved into just making the boxes themselves with the help of eight of their family members. So, very long story short, due to battling competition, they actually started making the pencils too. Their pencil business soon became very successful, so the transition was actually due to necessity, but school supplies also opened the door for them to make toys. So starting with a children's doctor and nurse kit, they quickly transitioned fully into a toy company in the early 1940s as they saw demand for school supplies starting to slow. 
It's actually without that transformation, we wouldn't really have Mr. Potato Head. So yay for Hasbro. But their transformation into the toy company we all know and love was actually due to rolling with the shifting markets. But consider this. Their pencil business was a market leader and actually highly profitable for 45 years. The Hassenfelds could have rested on that success. Instead, they continued to move and grow. They continued to watch the market and take opportunities where they arised. And in fact, in my previous episode, I mentioned how uh, Blockbuster had the opportunity to kind of partner with Netflix really early on. And they didn't see that opportunity. They didn't take it. So this kind of vision, this kind of foresight, unfortunately to me, is something that's also very rare in industry. But the ability and willingness to keep growing, to look for true innovation, to see opportunities, comes from a growth mindset. And in fact, most of us have a goal mindset, or worse, a fixed mindset, which I'll talk about in a second. But if we're lucky, we're actually taught to set a goal, work our ass off to achieve it, and then maintain that success until the next goal comes along. But that next goal, depending on where we see ourselves, actually might never come. Worse, it actually might be the goal of maintaining what we achieved, which in reality is the goal of falling behind. While I have you here, if you are ready to go to that next step and learn more, check out my book, Play to Innovate. You will find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Play to Innovate and you will find the book. If you would like to set up a workshop for your group or your company, let me know at brett at fivepebblesllc.com. That's B-R-E-T at fivepebblesllc.com. And if you have a fixed mindset, that is a person who believes that we are born with the intelligence and abilities that we will always have, and there's really nothing you can do about it. The reality is that we all have the ability to grow. So the more we learn, the more we grow, the more we try things, the more our intelligence will increase, the more we will become capable of things, and the more we will continue to grow. It's a positive cycle. So people are not really fixed in place. They're not really born one way or the other unless they choose to be. Now, I get it. I've actually been in the position of having worked my ass off to build a furniture design company. I did all the work to get my marketing going. I found the manufacturing, actually multiple times as the manufacturing kept falling through or turning out to be, you know, kind of lousy manufacturing. I worked on search engine optimization for my website that got me on the first page of search results on Google and Bing and all those others. And I started making sales. And did I mention that I actually built that website? But the next thing I knew, I was actually scared to try something new. I had ideas, don't get me wrong, but I knew it would mean taking my focus off my fledgling business to essentially build a new business. I convinced myself I didn't have the time or resources to do anything else, and I can be very convincing to myself. But I essentially trapped myself in this thought that if I adjusted anything, my house of cards would come crashing down. Now, intellectually, I knew I had to continuously evolve, and I actually knew in my heart that I had the time and energy to do it. But every excuse to hold me where I was seemed so attractive at the time. And the truth was, everything up to that point was just a battle of inches. So I simply didn't want to start over. 
And then the joke was on me when it actually did come crashing down. Anyway, when I burned out on the whole thing, I just, I'm not a person who likes repetition. And as the repetition continued to drone on, I just burned out on the whole thing. But I didn't have anything to really move on to for about two and a half years, almost three years. And in that time, it would have been easy to grow depressed and bitter with kind of everyone else who still was in business. But, and I did grow a little depressed. I recognize that now. But I knew I would figure it out eventually and move on. And, and that was my focus, moving on. The mistake I made was focusing solely on the, my goal of building a business. So I didn't have the goal of running the business. When everything was built and running, I essentially was done. And because I lacked a growth mindset at that point, I was very goal-oriented. When I saw the effort, time, and money I put in and the, the little bit of success I was achieving, I just reveled in my brilliance. And as my wife says, I rested on my laurels. And that's funny. That's me, the one who's always talking about moving on and growing. I hadn't developed a growth mindset about my work at that point. When it came to me personally, I was still, and I am still, all about continued growth. But when it came to my work, it was more about goals. Now, in that two-and-a-half, three-year period between things, I read constantly, I talked to people who were where I want to be, and I reflected on my day every single day. And I actually still continue those habits. But it wasn't until those three years after my furniture company that I realized that growth is more than just about my personal mental state. It's really more about the work I do. So there are four main things that I do now to keep growing and moving towards my goals. And my goals aren't really the end-all, be-all. They're actually stopping points along the way of my overall journey. The first thing I do, though, is I have set a 20-year dream, a 10-year ideal and five-year goal, and then smaller yearly goals, and then even smaller quarterly and other goals like that. My 20-year dream is a general idea of the kind of life I want to be living in the future. It helps me set boundaries on my time and life and structure my work so it mostly heads in that direction. It's so far in the future that there's no real way to have a solid image of what it will be, though. I say this knowing how fickle I am with the things that I want to do, and 10 years from now may find something completely different to pursue. Now, that leads me to my 10-year ideal, which is closer to a goal, but it's really not really a goal. It's, it includes a general idea of the amount of money I want to make and a clearer picture of the things I want to be doing, but that's about it. It's still not that clear goal yet. At five years, this is a traditional goal that allows me the ability to define yearly and quarterly goals, and then from there, even more like daily goals and things like that. Now, the second thing I do is that I'm always keeping an eye on industry and market trends. Not just my current industry, but generally what's going on in various markets and how are they affecting each other. I also keep tabs on new technology and research to see what people have been doing and what might be coming in the market in the next few years. Then there's the third thing I do, which is that I continually read, I watch videos, I listen to podcasts and news, both, both for personal growth and professional. Right now I'm reading Adam Savage's book, Every Tool is a Hammer. And while I haven't gotten very far in it, it's a great read about applying creative concepts to personal growth and to your life. 
And I'm also using the 100-day goal-setting journal as I build my seminar business. As I do research for this podcast, I'm also learning and I'm getting new ideas on ways of thinking and being creative. By seeing how other people go about their work and solve problems in their fields, I'm actually able to use those concepts in my work. The fourth thing I do, and maybe more importantly, I look for people I can trust to care about me enough to give me honest, constructive critique. And now that means that they ask questions and listen to understand my decision or direction before they talk. And they also talk through things with me rather than just giving me advice on, quote, what I should be doing. They are also unafraid to tell me when I'm about to hurt myself in some way, and that's based on their experience, so it's not just speculation on their part. Remember, criticism is just what we think it is. It's often unsolicited, and it's more about the critic feeling good about themselves than actually helping whoever they're talking to. Critique, on the other hand, is thoughtful, and it's meant to help the person who is seeking it out. So it's actually asked for first and then given. Now, I heard a speaker recently who talked about this exact topic. Her point was that your comfort zone is a great place to return to on occasion. It helps you stay grounded and tied to your history. So it's like family. But the longer you stay there, the harder things get when you leave because you are out of practice. And that's because you get out of practice dealing with the crap life throws at you. But also because you're out of practice dealing with challenges in general. Her bigger point was that you want to slowly grow your comfort zone. That doesn't mean seeking out danger or somehow growing to a point you're taking dumb risks. But it means getting out and talking to people you don't normally meet. It means going to places you don't normally go, of course within reason. If the place gives you the creeps, you don't go there. I still don't go on Lower Wacker Drive just to go to, for a walk. Not only is it disgusting, but you never know what's coming around that corner. But you can start by taking time to research the things that you believe are just facts. What are those things that you just kind of believe, but you really don't know the origin of where you got that information? For example, I overheard a rambling conversation between two elderly women, and they were both lamenting the fact that violent video games and TV shows were making our children more violent. This is simply not true. If they had done any research at all, they would have found that that's simply not true. They also went on to assume all sorts of, quote, facts about the news, education, and teenagers these days. All of their conclusions were speculations, and they freely admitted it with a, oh, I bet this is this way, or uh, I think it's that way, just kind of sprinkled throughout their conversation, as if it excused their ignorance. Moving outside of their bubble would only take some quick research to understand what the reality is. And the sad, sad thing is that they were much younger than my parents, who constantly do their research, constantly see what the reality is. They don't speculate. And they are one of the, some of the most open-minded people that I've met. And that research that I'm talking about is at their fingertips. It just takes the trust to believe the majority when they tell you the facts. When it comes to your work, I say examine the things that you have grown to, quote, just know. The things that have over and over again proven themselves correct to you. But maybe now is the time to actually take a second look. 
The foundation of innovation and creative thinking is continually challenging your beliefs. The more you do so, the more you'll see there's probably nothing scary on the other side of those beliefs or on the other side of challenging them. The worst you'll find is that it's just time to start moving to meet the market or to stay ahead of your competition. On a personal level, that means that maybe it's time to start examining new technologies or new techniques. It's maybe time to start seeing your customers or your audience in a different way. But I can say that never challenging yourself is the best way to become obsolete, both in your personal work and your business. For me, constantly challenging my beliefs, it feels safer to me, really, because now I know what's really going on and I can actually act in accordance with reality. So I'm not making stupid mistakes out in public. So I guess for me, it's more of about not being embarrassed than anything. But I still highly encourage you to get out there and just start challenging your beliefs. See what's really going on. Hey, you're probably right on at least 50% of everything that you already believe. But that other 50%, that's where the growth is. That's where you can start moving on. That's where you can find those new ideas. That's where you can get unstuck where you are. And if you don't feel stuck, it's still where you can get beyond where you are and to something even better. And we all want that, I think, uh, or the majority of us do. And if you don't, hey, I'm more power to you. Great, you know, kudos that you're in a place where you love to be. And if you're already doing something that you love and you've decided that you're going to do this for the rest of your life, I still highly encourage you to keep growing in that work. You're probably going to be the expert. You're probably going to be the go-to person but only if you continue to grow in that work. All right, well, it's been a short episode today. I hope you got something out of everything I was saying, and I will talk to you later. Have a great day. Bye.